And we're back from that incredible commercial. Alex. What's up? You've saved everyone from my uh, my vague ramblings. No, I'm sorry. I, uh, I didn't realize it was a, like a custom link. So, Alex, how are you? Welcome back to America. I know it's been you've been back now for some time. We've wanted to get a chance to sit with you and talk to you about Oslo. I know when we talked before you went over, you were really emphasizing that this is not just a Bitcoin conference, but it's a freedom conference. Yeah. And there are going to be a lot of people who are not, not even necessarily Bitcoiners, but not even believers in Bitcoin. And I'm just curious, just to kick it off, how was some of the reception from, you know, the non-Bitcoiners learning and understanding how Bitcoin can help them? And then also on the other side, how, how was the experience seeing Bitcoiners trying to help the people who need it most really understand this technology? Yeah. It was very profound, um, and thanks, um, thanks both of you for for having me here. Um, this is this is just a YouTube thing, right? We're streaming to YouTube, uh, Twitch, Facebook, LinkedIn, and I. Uh, okay, but I don't need to do anything on Twitter, right? I can just interface with this. Absolutely. Okay. Um, no, it was very profound. I mean, look, it's been fourteen. It was the 14th annual event, and we've been building this uh, movement of badass uh, freedom fighters from around the world for a long time. And, um, you know, again, over the last five years, we've been adding a little bit of Bitcoin content. Um, this was definitely kind of the peak of that. Um, and I think the idea is that overwhelmingly, it is clear that activists operating under authoritarian regimes need an alternative monetary system. Uh, they cannot use the legacy system. I mean, it's quite clear. Uh, legacy money is political, okay? And that might work if you live in a democracy and the party that you like is in power. That means that political money might be okay for you. Um, now, that's even dismissing, you know, concerns over debasement and inflation and things like that. That's just like, you're le you're probably okay. Like, if, if the ruling party is in power... And it's a relative democracy and you like them, your bank account's probably not going to get frozen. Right. Um, and then, you know, if you're in a robust democracy, even if you're in the opposing camp, your bank account's still not going to get frozen. So, so that's kind of um, that robust democracy reality where like political money doesn't really matter or you don't really understand that money's political is, is kind of the thing for like about a billion people. Uh, for a little over a billion people, they live in a, pretty strong financial system with a robust democracy where even if they like belong to an opposition party that's critical of the current government, they're not going to get their stuff stolen or confiscated, most likely. Um, but that's just like a, a very small percentage of the world population, right? So the people that we focus on at the Oslo Freedom Forum are coming from like North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Russia, um, Afghanistan, Venezuela, uh, Yemen, uh, Ukraine, I mean, you name it. And they have massive problems with money being political. They have issues of transmission, of, of just simply sending and receiving. They have issues of savings. They have issues with fundraising. They have issues with accessing good fiat money. Uh, because for most people in the world, their fiat money is terrible. It's not only like a sieve and loses value really quickly, but it also is hard to connect to other fiat money. 
something that we don't appreciate maybe as much as we should as as maybe dollar or euro users is is that like if you use the colonial franc or the venezuelan bolivar or the nigerian naira or whatever it's not just that the currency sucks it, it also is hard to like exchange and, and to use dollar dominated financial technology like paypal um it's more expensive for you to use these things it's more costly there's often errors and sometimes it just is not even an option like if you live in palestine it's like i mean it's not like you can use amazon or paypal or whatever you know either at all or remotely with the same privilege as we can so you know i think that what's interesting is that at the conference we were there for you know i was essentially there for a week and uh I mean, I didn't even look at the price the whole time. The interesting part is that for for like a lot of the human rights practicalities and applications of why are people using Bitcoin, um, it, it 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 could be a hundred dollars or a million dollars. It doesn't ma- it doesn't matter. Like it does the same thing. So so I mean, it's it's like kind of uh, incredible that the technology is so price agnostic in terms of its of its utility. Now, of course, it's kind of longer term utility, which might be existentially most important is is its ability to fight debasement and inflation but that's only possible to see on a longer time frame i mean it's undeniable you throw up a five year of any fiat currency versus bitcoin i mean it's not you know the <laughs> fiats aren't going to make a comeback let's put it that way but um but that's tough to uh see on a one year or a one month or a one week time frame right and in many cases obviously as as of right now like people are so in the moment that they can only see the last six months and they can only see, oh my God, Bitcoin's crashing. So it's much harder to make the case um, for Bitcoin's digital gold proposition simply because it, it requires a longer time frame. But it's very easy to make the case for the human rights um, proposition and, and it's undeniable. I think it's just such an important point that you just made, which is that, you know, for those of us that are in somewhere like the United States or, you know, Europe or many other countries, we just have a completely different understanding of what Bitcoin is and why it's important and getting exposure to these use cases for Bitcoin from people who are interested in it for just completely different reasons than, you know, number go up. It's a, it's a really, really powerful experience. Um, Well, but I mean, you know, even for people in the, like people who I, I'm just going to make a blanket assumption and put all of us in the same bucket we likely people like us likely earn a fiat income likely um or mostly a fiat fiat income we and then we save into bitcoin maybe let's say i assume a lot of the listeners are falling into that category they're in america or canada or europe or something and and they love bitcoin they're listening to this they they probably don't just love it for number go up because the <laughs> number hasn't been going up in the last uh, eight months. They, they obviously have a deeper appreciation for it, which is fine. But the primary motivation of what they're doing mechanically with Bitcoin is still number go up. Like it's still this realization that, hey, in 10 years, Bitcoin's going to be a lot more valuable than it is now. So let's try to exchange this like rapidly depreciating fiat currency, which is going to go to zero for Bitcoin. Like this is still the smart trade. And it's still what a lot of people are doing. But that's just a very different dynamic and a very different framework from the way that a lot of other people interface with Bitcoin and use it. Uh, You're talking about somebody who, when some other dictator invaded her country, you know, and the banking system froze, they needed to get money in 
to a territory that that she was operating in to buy like bulletproof vests and night vision goggles and stuff and that the banking system just didn't work like it it, it was imp literally impossible to move value into that place but bitcoin allowed her to move the value there and and actually save lives um or you know maybe you do maybe do the case of cuba where you've got people who are completely cut off from their families in the united states um and who are suffering both from a dictatorship, a military dictatorship in Cuba that's ravaging the peso, where and people have seen their purchasing power decrease by 90% in the last two years. And they also can't access their family because the Trump administration closed down 400 Western unions in, in Cuba. So they're totally cut off. And, and you got to use these like absurd kind of like, like mule systems to get money in, which require a ridiculous amount of trust and, and are very expensive. And it's, it's no surprise that people have started to adopt Bitcoin in very large numbers in Cuba, percentage-wise. I mean, you've got people who are accomplishing two things. I mean, even with the crash, I mean, a lot of these folks who got into Cuba in the last couple of years were entering at a price point of $5,000, $6,000, $7,000, $8,000. So, I mean, they're in the black and all the peso users are way in the red. So that's been big for them. And then, of course, just the ability to like seamlessly, instantly connect financially with their family in America, regardless of what either government wants, is, is kind of amazing. Um, and then there's the case of people who have to deal with like Hawala systems. Like there was this uh, one activist who I look forward to doing more with in the future. Her name is Maron. She's from Eritrea in the Horn of Africa. And um, she's an incredible woman. She's saved more than 10,000 people by herself um, who've escaped from Eritrea from from death, basically. She's an incredible heroic figure. And a lot of these people resettle in East Africa. Not all of them make it to Europe or, or Israel. You know, as they escape Eritrea, they either go north and try to get to Europe or Israel or they go towards Kenya. A lot of them end up in the Horn of Africa. They, they don't really speak local language. They, they don't have a bank account. So she uses the Hawala system traditionally to get money to them and it's like she's based in sweden so she like goes to some guy in some neighborhood of stockholm and gives him a bunch of cash and like fingers crossed hopefully it makes it and you're just waiting and you're calling and did you get it like there's tension all the time i mean psychologically that's not a lot of fun and oftentimes like payment just just super delayed or doesn't make it or whatever so the upgrade to Bitcoin for her has been absolutely transformative. And um, she has now educated all of these people and they each educate more people. And it's like this movement that she's created of people who pay and interact with each other using Bitcoin instead of Hawala. Um, and in some ways, Bitcoin is just an upgraded Hawala system. Like it's 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 like it's just it's just automating the trust element and the transaction speed. You know, you're not you're still not using banks like Hawala is cool because you don't use banks, but Hawala is not cool because some dude could just I mean, I understand there's all this reputation built in and it's thousands of years old of a technology and Hawala is to be respected for sure. But it just strikes me that clearly we have an upgrade here. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, so I don't know much about the Hawala system, but I think it's a really, really fascinating. What I have heard is super fascinating. Can you define what it is and why it is? interesting and in how it intersects with Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a very popular way to move money in the Muslim world, uh, in and out of the Muslim world. It's centuries and centuries old. Um, it's pretty simple. I mean, it just it it just 
relies on a, a network of broker broker dealers, basically, like many other aspects of the financial system. But again, like y- y- you might, um, let's say you're Iranian um, and you live in Toronto and you want to send money to your family in Iran. Currently, there's all kinds of restrictions making that impossible, like even if your parents are sick or whatever. So you go down to um, a part of Toronto. I think it's like called Little Tehran or something. And there's all these people who are money changers. And you'll go and you'll give them a stack of Canadian dollars, let's say 500 Canadian dollars or something. And they interact with their colleague in Tehran. I mean, today now we have cell phones. So it's obviously Huala is much more efficient than it used to be. <laughs> but the idea is that uh, even back then, pre-internet, there was a, there was an, there was an, um, element of trust where like you might go to somebody pre-internet pre-phone and, and say, Hey, I'm waiting for 500 reals or whatever. And, and they have to get that message somehow from their counterparty. Right. So there was always some element of delay today. That delay has been compressed, but the point is you go down to the market, you exchange the bills and the person on the other side has Iranian real and they give the equivalent amount to your family member. And it's like, you know, it's just a system like this, but it relies on them Obviously, these parties not screwing you and your protection against that historically has been reputation. Like you're never like, OK, you're never going to use somebody again if they screw you over. Right. So there, there, Hawala is a strong system in many ways, but like it, it is not consistent or reliable and it's not particularly comfortable to go with a bunch of cash into a place like this and do this, especially as a woman, for example, this person I'm, I'm retelling the story from loosely is a, is a woman who has done this many times. So in her case, this woman of Iranian descent, you know, she's not a big Bitcoin fan. She doesn't necessarily love the ideology or any of that stuff that some of it, some of its proponents espouse. But guess what? She uses Bitcoin because it's the best, the best way to do what she needs to do, which is move value from point A to point B. And I think that's what a lot of the critics miss, right? Absolutely. So you and I met earlier this year, or I suppose last year, uh, as I was you know, planning out the programming for Bitcoin 2022. Um, although I've been following you for, for many years now. Can you, I'm realizing uh, Q actually had to hop off. He's suffering from a massive migraine. That's why he was on the oh, floor for a second there. So it'll just be you and I today. But uh, we didn't give you the opportunity to sort of introduce yourself and talk about the amazing things that you're working on right now. Um, can you give us an introduction to who you are and what you're about? Sure. So I actually just celebrated my 15th um, anniversary at the Human Rights Foundation yesterday. Um, so ever since June uh, 15, 2007, thank you. <laughs> uh, I've been working for a civil liberties group in New York City created by people who survived dictatorships. So the important thing about the Human Rights Foundation, and this has helped me so much with Bitcoin, is that it's just got a different perspective. It was founded by somebody from Venezuela. It's chaired by somebody from Russia. Our current president is from Lebanon. They don't come from New Jersey. You know, they, they've seen how most of the world operates. 53% of the world's population lives under an authoritarian regime. And say what you want about America, and I've got a lot to say about America, but, um, but, but we have tens of thousands of nonprofits, I think more than 70,000 nonprofits that exist here to protect the rights of everybody from stamp collectors to journalists to comedians to artists to whatever. Um, we sue the U.S. government. We leak stuff. We, and it's not without risk, of course. But generally speaking, we make fun of the government. I mean, people are very, very well paid to go on TV and make fun of the government in our country. 
um, people are very well paid to publish scathing exposés on government corruption in our country. Now, this leads to impeachments. I mean, look at, I mean, you just have to look at Nixon. I mean, Nixon is one of the most powerful people in world history in terms of if you think about the way that he and his advisors removed the dollar from the gold standard. Like, we're talking about somebody who was very powerful. Well, guess what? Bob Woodward, you know, like, I mean, you know, uh, you know, wrote the history of this, but you, you look at the water, the Watergate stuff. I mean, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. So, so journalism in our country, public journalism has, has unseated presidents, has caused literal revolutions. I mean, if you look at things like women's suffrage and stuff like that, um, or of course, the, the struggle for equality for African Americans. So, I mean, activism and journalism are no joke in the United States. I mean, I, I think a lot of Bitcoiners like to downplay these things, but like, no, this is real stuff that has actually changed our country for the better, for sure. Now, it's not a cure-all, and it doesn't mean we get the change we want. But, I mean, we're a very different country than we were 100 years ago. I don't think there's, I mean, anyone who's trying to argue anything, anything other than that is silly. And, and a lot of that's because of uh, activism, advocacy, um, people like MLK, etc. I mean, this stuff works. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't work all the time. But it absolutely works. So we have that history in our country that continues to happen. You can't do this stuff in dictatorships. I mean, you can't. You um, you just can't. I mean, it just doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't work the same way. You don't have the same accountability mechanisms. You, I mean, as as flawed as voting is, it is useful to to a very large extent. There is no voting for free and fair elections in these countries. There is no free media. There is no rotation of who's in power. And I think Bitcoiners should really grasp this concept that absolute power corrupts absolutely. It doesn't matter if there's some dude in power who you think's really cool or you like. If you, there's no checks on his power, he's going to be corrupt and he's going to do stuff you don't like eventually. Absolutely. And you're, playing, and you're playing with fire if you if you disagree. I mean, it just we have thousands of years of history to prove <laughs> yeah. wrong, right? Like there's yeah. just, you know, there's what? There's like one Marcus Aurelius ever, right? I mean, there's not like for every noble king there's a thousand terrible ones. So it's like, this is, this is something that, that we take for granted often that our society has checks and balances. And especially in the United States, we have this wonderful state system where like the states can provide different kinds of freedoms and people can kind of shop around and stay in different states. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. But for most people, I mean, they're like, I mean, they're trying to get out. I mean, a lot of people trying to get out. Like what's interesting is if you look at refugees, 96% of refugees come from dictatorships because people don't want to live there. I mean, it's very yeah. clear. Yeah. Uh, they want to live in democracies. Now, there's different reasons for that. But like, generally speaking, these are, these are better societies. So um, at HRF, we come from a background of people who grew up or lived under dictatorships or authoritarian regimes. And, and they wanted to create an organization that, that could focus on that because that mission is so important because more than half of humans live under these regimes. And there's a lot we can do to help. Um, you know, and, and we don't we don't focus on democracies. And again, it doesn't mean we don't think what's what democracies are doing is 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 all good or isn't terrible. And personally, I, I speak out a lot about what, for example, the United States is doing um, or has done. But, you know, we have this united mission and it's very it's very clarifying and helpful. Um, and it is with this perspective that I really understood Bitcoin. Because, again, it's so it's tougher. It's tougher if you're just like in the American bubble, like you can you can you can you can kind of get it eventually but i mean if you're from zimbabwe or iran or sri lanka or something 
there's nothing. I mean, it's it's an immediate, like yeah. obvious. Yes, I definitely want to learn more about that. Yeah. So absolutely. it's 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 sort of similar to this idea of like any of these concepts about political freedom. They resonate much more so vividly with somebody who's under attack right now. Like your average Ukrainian is going to have much more strong feelings about human rights and civil liberties than your average person um, yeah. in Utah. There's just it's just clear, right? There's just when you're under attack or your friends are getting tortured or whatever, it's a, mo a lot more a lot more gritty and real for you. So that's my background. I I I spent ten years working with activists and literally sending stuff into North Korea and to Cuba, working with Russian opposition, working with Chinese activists. Tibetans, Uyghurs, all this stuff. And then I started to realize how important money was in the context of human rights, kind of what we've already covered. And um, I had a long history of observing Bitcoin. Like I met Julian Assange in 2010. He spoke at our conference. Six months later, Satoshi posted their last ever public post saying that maybe WikiLeaks shouldn't use Bitcoin because <laughs> we weren't ready yet. Um, a few months later, Satoshi disappeared forever, uh, private correspondence. And then in June 2011, WikiLeaks posted its fateful tweet with the Bitcoin address in it. And they ended up raising a lot of capital that way. So I was kind of looking at that. But of course, at the time, I mean, Bitcoin was so weird and it wasn't worth anything. It was just kind of like a, a, an eyebrow raise. A few, few years later, we ended up using it um, to, to support Ukrainians who were pushing back against their own corrupt regime in 2013. This was right before Maidan Square. Um, and then we started accepting Bitcoin donations in 2014. So I, I kind of like was definitely watching it, but I, I it didn't um, fully capture my uh, intellectual interest in, until early 2017. I was finally sort of convinced and and for the last five years, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, now 22, I've, I've really been just kind of thinking about it all the time. It's just, uh, to me, it's such a fascinating topic. And um I mean, really, we joke about Bitcoin fixes this, but it really like fixes a lot of things. So that's why I'm excited to devote my career to it, um, and 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 to its to the nexus of these two things. As always, incredibly articulate. Uh, what are some of the in the most interesting stories that came out of the Oslo Freedom Forum and the work that you're doing right now? What are some of the ones that you kind of weren't expecting or that surprised you or caught your interest, you know, above and beyond the, uh, the art, everything else that was happening? Well, I mean, we ran, I mean, to give the framework for the Freedom Forum, we had at the Oslo Freedom Forum, we have morning programming, which are stage talks from activists, followed by interactive programming in the afternoons, which are panels and different sessions. And then we have workshops um, on the final day. We had about two dozen morning sessions keynote speeches or, or firesides, one of them related to Bitcoin out of 24. This was Fode Giap and Jack Mahler's talking about freedom money, very kind of in a concise manner, which was really cool. I thought they did an awesome job with that. Fode just telling his personal story and trying to get people to like see what it is from his shoes, um, which I thought was great. And Jack explaining um, kind of in, in normie terms that how the technology worked, I thought was cool. Um, and then we had a bunch of interactive sessions. I, I led one of them. We had We had ones on is Bitcoin compatible with democracy? We had ones on, on the Lightning Network. We had ones on mining and, and proof of work and proof of stake. We had uh, one on stablecoins. So it, it was a rich program there. And then we had this Bitcoin workshop at the end. And I mean, the thing that I was, I mean, I just was 
And a lot of Bitcoiners were like, wait a second, most of us are Bitcoiners in this room, which is true. The room was packed. There were like 60, 70 people in there. But guess what? Like 15 to 20 of them were activists and they were from a variety of places. And anyone who was in that room can attest. I mean, people got up there and were like, hey, I'm from Cuba. I'm from Nicaragua. I'm from Russia. Uh, I'm from uh, Libya. Like uh, I'm from Eritrea. Like th there were a lot of activists in there. And the, the whole point was that it was supposed to be at least like a one on like every activist would have at least one teacher. It ended up being like that every activist had like two or three teachers. Um, so we could probably work on that in the future. But the, the point is they had a lot of help. And um, just the 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 raw interest from people who who are starting at zero, like literally zero. But they can but they 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 want to go from zero to one like that personal curiosity that drives you to go from zero to one is often in my case, it took years and years and years. Like in other people's cases, there's a deep skepticism that prevents them from doing so or, or, or something about Bitcoin they heard about that they don't like or they don't want to participate. They think it's criminal money or hurting the environment or um, maybe they just they're salty about it because they heard about it a long time ago and it wasn't worth anything. Um, maybe their friends don't like it. I mean, there's a million reasons why you wouldn't go from zero to one. But these people are like, they don't know, you know, Bitcoin from BitTorrent. They, they don't know anything. And they're like, tell me more about money the government doesn't control. <laughs> like, basically. Yeah. And you know what? That'll be an interesting zero to one. I mean, they're going to want to learn everything about blockchain and NFTs and everything. Because that, that's that's what they hear about all the time. And, um, you know, hopefully by just giving them some Bitcoin education, we'll, we'll set them on the right course. You know, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, look, if someone wants to send you some money for NFTs, like, great. Um, but I, I, I want to show you the power of this thing and how you can integrate it into your nonprofit. Because um, this, I think it's going to be something that, that is very powerful for you and you can use it for a long time. So, so, that, was, that, so that was one thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is the, the, the opportunity to bring some of these Bitcoin users who use Bitcoin in adversarial scenarios to parliament to talk to oh, Norwegian wow. government. And, and, you know, this is an important country. It runs the world's largest sovereign wealth fund. It owns the world's largest sovereign wealth fund. It, um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, uh, don't they own like 2% of all stocks? Yes. Yeah. They own, I think, well, which is interesting these days, but yeah, they, yeah. they basically own 2% of like all the top fortune 500 companies or something like that they that is incredible they they, they they were very shrewd in the way they managed this fund i mean it's almost like in some ways the norwegian sub wealth fund is almost like what a bitcoin standard country might look like in the future if it's well managed because like you kind of in a bitcoin standard you're going to have a bitcoin position much yeah. like you had a gold position in the gold standard and that position is going to fluctuate according to your trade dynamics um and norway was profoundly lucky Although for many people, it's the Dutch disease. Like for, for most oil countries, they're horrible, corrupt dictatorships. Norway's Wait, go, very- Go into that yeah, a go little ahead. bit more. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to explore what you just said and yeah. why that is and then why places like, uh, you know, like we get to the, the Oslo Freedom Forum are able I mean, to, to resist that. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's just a matter of fact that out of the top 15 oil exporting countries, almost all of them are dictatorships. Absolutely. Um, Rantier states, you know, but but- I mean, why is Norway different is a great question. There are many reasons for that. People have argued that social trust was very important. People have argued that the level of homogen homogeneity in the society was important, that it wasn't a country post-World War II in conflict, um, that it had a very high percentage of women at high positions in the state, 
there's all kinds of reasons. I don't know the exact reason, and no one really does. But the point is that Tell the, me. The, yeah, the Norwegians figured out a way to to to, to save their energy uh, profits in, in a smart way, and this really started to manifest in the 1980s. And by the by the early 90s, when we had this banking crisis, that was really where Greenspan in in America, he, he as as head of the Fed, he he implemented. The legacy of monetary policy that we're now dealing with right now at that time the norwegians actually had this savings account that they had been like topping up every year from their oil profits instead of instead of spending lavishly or siphoning off to personal bank accounts they were saving it for the country's future and in in an era where i mean they got in there at the beginning of 40 years of like stock and bond bull market so they were just like pouring into bonds and equities the whole time. Um, and they did really well. And they were like, they had a banking crisis in the early 90s. And they were able to uh, actually buy the banks off the private sector, recapitalize them at, for like nothing, by the way, and then and then sell them back at a profit. So they wow. made money on the banking crisis. Wow. And then and then, and then they didn't have a problem really in 08. But in 2020, you might you might have seen stuff. They have an airline called Norwegian Air went totally bankrupt. So they bought it for like nothing. And then they they did sort of a similar thing. So I think this is interesting because it, it kind of gives you a sort of a vision of what that might what a Bitcoin standard co- a country might actually look like yeah. as far as it as the way it operates. But in any event, um, it's an important country. It has this fund. It, it, it's in NATO. It, it, in, Norwegian leads NATO actually right now. Um, Jens Stoltenberg like. It has a strong currency, obviously, that's tied to oil. But I mean, it's 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 it really punches above its weight for a country of four million people. In fact, I always thought this was interesting. You know, I mean, Norway, I think four million people uses more energy than the bottom forty poorest countries in the world combined, which have, of course, hundreds of millions of people. So um, it, it's a very very advanced country. Let's put it that way, with a very very high equal, uh, press freedom, a quality of life. I mean, people love living in. I mean, Norway is a wonderful place. I feel so, like it's like um, Shangri-La, like it's where I like. It's it. Norwegians get. I mean, they have first world problems, right? They're first, you know, the, 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 there's this thing called Jantaloven. They don't like people being too successful. There's kind of this. It, the, there's still this mentality from before they got rich, of like being humble and like being farmers and like they don't love to see like spectacular success. Um, it's okay if it's in sports or in diplomacy, but not in like business. So a lot of like success, they don't have like they don't have the whole Bill Gates, Warren Buffett thing. Yeah. Like Americans lionize Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. We love these people, generally speaking. And I'm talking about Bitcoiners, but like historically, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have or Elon like are are very popular because Americans see financial success generally is like a good thing. Um, Wait, but that, I mean, that sounds not like, the case in Norway. Definitely not. I mean, that sounds like a positive change or are you saying that that's that would be that it's negative no i i i think it's on the negative side because there are business people who've done incredible things done incredible things and they're demonized over there so they all like basically oh wow it goes, it goes negative okay got yeah it. it's thought... like it's almost to the french in terms of like we're going after you so um the 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 point is that it's an important country with like a very different culture and we got the opportunity to talk to the government and you know former the guy who just was minister of climate like six months ago he was in the room he's an mp we had the heads of finance energy and business committees there norway has seven parties so we had um participation from four of the seven parties it was it was it was really really positive and and we 
essentially got to go through firsthand personal stories of why why was Bitcoin useful for you. So we had people in the room from Nigeria, Ukraine, Venezuela, um, Pal you know, Palestine, places like that. They were able to share their stories, um, which was exceedingly profound. And then also we had um, Jack Mahlers and Lynn Alden and, and Nick Carter, for example, to deal with the questions about interoperability of fiat Bitcoin, as well as the environment stuff. So it was super nice to be able to when a bunch of policymakers are like, well, tell us more about like Bitcoin and energy for me to just be able to like, oh, well, I have like Nick Carter and Lynn Alden here to like answer your questions. So um, it was totally awesome. Uh, we were in there for like 90 minutes and um, I think it's a blueprint. I mean, I'd love to do something similar for any government, you know, just 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 because once because then they start asking questions like, well, tell us more when your bank account was frozen. How exactly did Bitcoin help? Like they it's quite clear they never had gone through this mechanism. They never thought about the mechanics before. Yeah, and I think it leaves an impact. And you know, one of the big outcomes of of the Freedom Forum and the Financial Freedom Track, which was sponsored by this awesome Norwegian company called CT, was um was 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 very much this letter that we wrote at financialinclusion.tech, which um was kind of a response to this like letter by twenty five technologists hating on cryptocurrency, you know. And our response was like, listen, like oh, I saw that it was so yeah, good. Yeah, and I was, it's just like listen. I was this is 20, 21 countries and it's like, okay, why do you hate freedom? Well, well, no, personally, we've seen how Bitcoin and, and to another and to a different extent, stable coins have really empowered people in our countries. We don't have the dollar. Uh, we have collapsing economies. We have dictators like these are very important tools for us. And we hope the U.S. Congress can keep this in mind as it makes policy. Like, you know, if, we, if you want to be talking up yourselves as the leader of the free world, well, like you got to be mindful that this technology is oftentimes the only lifeline out there for a lot of people. Um, and then that it does ends up doing way more for like individual rights in some countries than any government program could ever do. So um, hopefully that we get that across. And there's some other things that will come out as well out of the event. Um, we've NGO guide we're, 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 we're creating by, by September, it should be out like an open, open and free guide that will be like for nonprofits that are receiving grants and also for foundations and governments that are given grants. Uh, it'll be like a, like a practical guide on how to incorporate Bitcoin best practices based on field research. Wow. This is missing. This doesn't exist today. So that's going to be super helpful because there's a lot of, there's a lot of nonprofits that are just like, they, they want to onboard and then they have like, they have very kind of simple like questions like, yeah, well, what should we use? It's just like, okay, well maybe BTC pay. And then, okay, well, where do we go from there? Where, where do we have it point to? It's yeah, absolutely. like, okay, like, do, do you do a hot wallet? Um, to, you know, how, how much is safe on a hot wallet? Like, we were just talking about that cold wallet. before you came on. And, you know, for most of these organizations, like a hot wallet's going to be perfectly fine. I mean, like, as long as they secure it correctly, and they have the seed in the right place, like, I mean, it, it's going to be fine for, for like, you know, daily flow of, you know, occasional donations. Um, for really large amounts of money, I mean, it might be a different story. But the fact is that, you know, if you have a BTC pay, it's it's going to be very very difficult to, to track uh, what, what what's going on, um, uh, especially if you if you handle things correctly on the back end. So, so um, and then you know you can also, what's cool is you can pay out directly, in in you know you can pay out directly in Lightning, 
to to a mobile wallet from from whatever wallet you're using would be dc pay and then pay from there to your contractors in different countries um and if you go from like if you just have a very simple chain where it's like breeze wallet moon wallet or something um i mean good luck tracing that it's like a utxo swap because they use this, these like mobile lightning wallets use um, submarine swaps so it's like yep. it's very strong with privacy so it's pretty cool yeah i mean so it just depends on what they need but we'll, we'll we'll work with them to 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 you know we'll try to provide as many resources as we can um and and get that document done so there's some good things coming out great things coming out of the conference there's a lot more i heard about today on a call that you'll see it's give, very give exciting a, stuff. Give us a taste. Yeah, no, no, no. Just, just, I think that, like, so Obi Mosu was there, obviously, yep, at the conference, and Odell was joking that he made everybody a fediment maximalist. So, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's some clarity around the idea that, like, okay, well, maybe not everybody in the world can own an UTXO. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it seems like there's debate around that. Um, but guess what? Like, everybody could use a fediment. And, you know, maybe, maybe everybody, maybe as many people as possible try to self custody, but the, maybe the majority of people don't want to in the end, or we don't make it easy enough for them. So what's better than them using Binance P2P, which is like what people use in emerging markets, to be totally frank with you, they use Binance P2P. And the reason why they use Tether on Tron is just they, they just pick whatever the cheapest stable coin is like they have, they don't do self custody. So if we don't want people using banks, which are essentially tools of the government, then we then fediments are potentially a really good middle ground solution where you're removing the Bitcoin from control of the state and from banks. Um, you're not giving people perfect self custody, but you're giving people something that that may give them a lot of utility while being a middle ground. And you know, if we can if we can onboard most of the world onto fediments plus self custodial wallets, I would say that would be a huge win. So you're going to see a lot on the fediment space moving you know moving forward um and just just you know the organizers of the africa bitcoin conference uh which is taking place in ghana in december were all in norway and they attract they attracted a lot of support for their upcoming conference there so you know december 7 to 10 um it's going to be going down in Accra, and i'm i'm really i'm really thrilled to be there it's going to be great i love it i love it so shifting topics slightly, what's gotten you really excited lately in the Bitcoin space? Like, or, or what have you been spending a lot of time thinking about day to day? I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the news right now, obviously, you know, Celsius collapsing, the, the, uh, everything going on with the price. But what, what do you find yourself kind of coming back around to and, and engaging with? Yeah, I mean, just first of all, education. I mean, getting onboarding more people is is really what it's all about. Um, integrating nonprofits like activists. I mean, that's really what I'm spending a lot of my day doing every day. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, I've been captivated by this idea of upgrading the average Bitcoin wallet in the next two, three years. Like what that what's that going to look like? What's your average open source Bitcoin wallet going to look like in two, three years? Meaning what functionality is it going to have? Because currently it's send and receive. And that's great. That changed the world. It's good enough. But we could do better, right? I mean, so I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, when you interview people, you get all of these other um, use cases um, that that they want or that they express to you, which, which include 
buy dollars, uh, earn yield, um, or for example, get credit or go into a more private scenario. So um, I think you, you could start seeing whether it's with Fedimints or with Lightning smart contracts, like, and we'll see. Um, but I think you could start seeing scenarios where Bitcoin users can live in self-custody and have a certain amount of Bitcoin that's theirs, 100%, be their own bank. But then they can choose to opt into or peg into different systems that have different levels of trade-offs that give them more things without having to KYC or do anything like that, just taking some risk, right? So I think that's the, obviously the idea of Fediment. I mean, the whole threat of Fediment is you could get rugged by your Fediment admins, but like the hope is that you're making a Fediment with people that you know and aren't going to rug you so that that chance is very small. Everything is a trade-off, right? So I think this idea of like, whether it's with a Fediment or some sort of smart contract where you're on one side of a bet, like, you could get dollar exposure as a Bitcoin user, which is obviously massively helpful and will provide enormous utility for tens of millions of people. You could earn, you could put your capital to work. You could get interest on it. And whether that's just by providing routing and lightning or doing something else, I think that's going to be a feature in a wallet. I think getting anonymity in Bitcoin will be very useful. Again, Alex, whether through, yeah, go ahead. Can you give, can you explain for the audience what a Fediment is in its simplest form? Yeah, well, I, you should look at the Bitcoin conference from this from two months ago or whatever talk by Obi, um, yeah. uh, uh, which is, is a great one. But I mean, he he kind of breaks it down. But like, I think the dream of the Fediment is that like it's it's almost kind of like um, in a way it's almost similar to the Bitcoin Beach Wallet that some people have have heard about. It, it's sort of like a it's just in a in a layman's terms way. It's kind of like. I think the end user vision is is sort of like a custodial lightning wallet, but it but it's not but the lightning is not controlled by and held by um, one party. Um, the, it's actually a multi-sig arrangement with a bunch of trusted people. So for example, in Elzante, that would be like people like Roman and Mike Peterson and people who are like part of the community who are like probably not going to go rug everybody, right? So OB has this vision for like like a, let's say a village in Nigeria where, there'd be like a bunch of trusted elders or whatever, or people that are, are community leaders. So maybe 10 of them would have keys or whatever. So there'd have to be some sort of consensus between them to move the funds out or to change the rules of the fediment. But but this allows anyone who wants to, to, to like use that fediment and to use value in that fediment or even to peg value into or withdraw value out of that fediment um, under a certain set of rules. So again, instead of like using Binance P2P, as your Bitcoin account, um, if you didn't want to deal with self-custody, you could use Fediment and it could be like this village's Fediment or this business association's Fediment or this company's Fediment or whatever. And it provides like maximally powerful uh, flexibility uh, as a Bitcoin user. You unlock a lot of features that are just simply not possible with on-chain self-custody Bitcoin. Um, and, and, you know, part of this whole thing is going to be education around risk. Like, we're going to want people to self-custody some percentage of their funds, but they're going to want to do stuff with, with some of their Bitcoin. Like, it's just not going to sit there for 10 years. I mean, that's, 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 I mean, that might be cool. That might be a luxury that some people have, or that might be something that some people choose to do, but people want to put their capital to work. Um, people want to earn interest on it. People want to borrow against it. Um, people want, want to use it privately. Maybe um, there's all kinds of reasons why you may want to like, take some of the Bitcoin that you're saving and peg it into a system where you can get some more flexibility. And the, the whole point around Fediments is 
You don't need to use any tokens or or stable coins or any of that crap. You can just you can just use Bitcoin um, and a custodial agreements with other parties. So I think it's extremely interesting as a concept, and I'm looking forward to seeing it being rolled out. We have a um, a bounty for Strike and HRF have a bounty for like the first wallet that executes uh, the sort of let's say the Chomian eCash version. Like like basically in a Fediment you can you can have purely anonymous eCash. Yeah, exactly. So like like you could peg into the Fediment and with some amount of Bitcoin and then, and then from there yeah, I mean on a wallet imagine that there would just be a button saying go private, how much do you want to put in? Half of my Bitcoin on this wallet. Great. Press a button and now you have like literal eCash and then you would then go spend that with whomever you want and it's not traceable. So and then and then you you could peg out of it later would be the idea. So I would kind of I, I kind of think of it as uh, Fediment is which stands for you know Fed, uh, what is it Federated Chaomian Mints is mm-hmm. a system that allows as you said sort of a group a, a federation uh, within a community whether that's a yes. you know, physical one or distributed to be able to kind of uh, share custody of or, of the Bitcoin that is put into it or or uh, approve certain transactions and then using blind signatures you basically can do this anonymously within that that federation is that is that well fair? that's that's well that that's one aspect of it is you can you can do e-cash but you can do a lot of other things inside fediments is the part i'm getting at like it can be very flexible um again you could have credit systems in fediments you could you know people can earn interest people could have stable essentially stable coin quote-unquote functionality um and it's very simple because you're making a trade-off you're no longer using self-custodied on-chain bitcoin you're using essentially, you, you kind of think about it like a custodial lightning wallet in a way. I'm being very, very layman in terms of like what the average person might, inter- how they might interact with it. It's obviously more complicated than this. You should definitely look at Opie's videos and look at, I think there's a fedimint.org website. Um, but um, the, the, the hope is that it gives Bitcoin users a lot more flexibility and allows us to onboard a lot more Bitcoin users. Again, like to be realistic, like you know, are 7 billion people going to self-custody Bitcoin? I don't know. But the point of Fediment is that 7 billion people could use Fediments. Uh, again, because it's like you're removing the, the the responsibility and burden of self-custody, but still providing access to Bitcoin is the idea. So you have um, these trusted with, members who then... Right, without relying on corporations or governments. So it is a it is a some sort of negotiation between human reality and our utopian vision of what Bitcoin is. And, and it, it may be very successful this decade. So we'll see. But I mean, clearly, if we're, if we're choosing between Fediments and Binance, like give me Fediments 100 Absolutely. times out of 100. I mean, if we're choosing self-custodied on-chain Bitcoin versus Fediments, that's, it's not the same, I'll take one or the other. I envision in the future, people will use both. Um, and they'll, they'll hopefully self-custody as much as they can for however long they can. But people have needs and they have interests and like this is the reality like they need a different they need a flexible like sort of other layer that they can do stuff with that's not just like on-chain transactions um yep. that, that the on-chain transactions are going to be maybe in the future very expensive i mean who knows uh, uh so so maybe these end up being things that are rarer for individuals and that individuals interact with bitcoin either either or, or even just lightning itself might be something where um it ends up running into issues in the future in terms of scaling. And, and we end up using stuff like Fediments to onboard like hundreds of millions of people. But, but we'll see. I mean, yeah. 
I, I'm I bullish say, on it now, but but like look for Fediment uh, news in the in the next few months, like you know, which was yeah. which was helped, which was catalyzed by the Oslo Freedom Forum. So let's just put it that way. I love it. Okay, well, so one thing I'd say for the audience is um, we'll put it in the description as well, but you can see the I think it's Fediment.org, which you mentioned. Also, there is. Uh, a keynote that Obin Lasso, who we were just talking about, gave at Bitcoin 2022. Uh, I believe that is in, on the Bitcoin Magazine YouTube, which you can check out. And yeah. then uh, there's also a Bitcoin Magazine article, which we'll uh, we'll put in the show notes as well. Alex, it's uh, it's been great talking to you, man. I uh, yeah, appreciate you no getting, than I, I just yeah, uh, appreciate, was, appreciate the chance getting to to catch up. And I've just been very inspired by what I've seen. And uh, I know it's weird because. People are deflated because of because of the dollar value of Bitcoin. But I can assure you one that Bitcoin um, equals one Bitcoin. Well, it's not only that. Um, it's just that. Um, I mean, this is this isn't just people have been using this thing for a long time. And yeah. uh, I got to do this event in Texas uh, last weekend. I was just talking with uh, with Roya Mapub, who's a entrepreneur who started to um, use Bitcoin almost ten years ago, and. You know, she put all her business into Bitcoin when it when it went to twelve hundred dollars, and then it went down to two hundred dollars. So, you know, she she but she kept going, like she doubled down, right? Because she she saw the 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 non price value of this thing. So, you know, if any if anything, now is the time these next few months where we can actually educate ourselves about self custody and and the kind of political revolution that is Bitcoin. So, in in any event, um, I really appreciate you having me and looking looking forward to the next one. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, follow Alex on Twitter and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, guys. Thanks so much, Alex. Later.